and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am your co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I am your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And today we have yet another excellent poem for you. We're going to read the poem, talk about it, and read the poem again. Before we do so, uh, a quick mention that one of the best ways to help us find new listeners and to help boost us up the iTunes Apple Podcasts algorithm is through ratings and reviews. And so we've been really lucky to get quite a few of those lately. But if any of you out there are listening and like what we do, it would mean so much to us if you hopped over there and gave us a quick five stars and wrote a couple of thoughts in those review panels. It means a whole lot, and it helps. It really does. Today's poem is by Carmen Jimenez-Smith, and it is called Decoy Gang War Victim. Yeah, and we should probably... This is an interesting poem for a number of reasons, one of which probably worth explaining a little bit before we read the poem. It's an ekphrastic poem, uh, so it's, it's about... Um, or based off of a photograph that's also called Decoy War Gang Victim, um, which was taken by Harry Gamboa Jr., who was a photographer and part of the, it was like a Chaconix Collective in the 70s or something. Um, ASCO, the ASCO at, Collective from 1972 right. to 1987. Yeah. And the photo is... How would you describe it, Jack? It is a scene of a city street at night with streetlights in the background, and the foreground is mostly empty, but towards the center of the entire image, there is what appears to be a young man lying down in the middle of the city street, and on either side of his body are lit flares of the kind that you would find like roadside flares. And so they're not hugely bright but they are shining on either side of him somewhat similar to the street lights that are in the background yes and it's a very blue photo um yes. except for the red flares um yeah yeah and we can talk more about the context of that photo but i think that'll be helpful to know as we're listening to it absolutely i think this is our first officially Ekphrastic poem. I know we did Child Holding Potato, which is sort of ekphrastic adjacent, but I don't know that we've done a fully ekphrastic work like this before. So quickly before getting into the poem, Carmen Jimenez-Smith is currently one of the editors of the, of the Nation's Poetry section, also the publisher of Noemi Press, a 2019 Guggenheim Fellow, um, and yeah, just all around pretty incredible. Uh, a finalist in 2013 for the National Book Cir Critics Circle Award as well. And her most recent book, uh, Be Recorder, I think, it may have been decided by the time this recording comes out, but she's currently a finalist. Her book is currently a finalist for the National Book Award. Um, so yeah, very exciting. At the time of recording, a finalist. Yes. <laughs> we'll see what the future holds. Um, but yeah, so this is, yeah, this was just a poem that sort of fascinated me in a lot of different ways when I came across it. And so let's jump on in. Decoy Gang War Victim by Carmen Jimenez Smith. Just a tick ago, the actor was a Roman candle, shot to the sky, smudged by rain's helter-skelter. His motivation was, he's a stooge, 
on Ellie's sodden turnpike, so we have to make art. Got to rezone and react. The world the bare wall to his bullet. Got to rile up the populace to fortify the arsenal. Once in a while, repopulate and penetrate, paint a list of incitement onto the walls. An elder told him that to overturn the city, one must surrender body, belongings, to the one explosive spectacle of truth, making it ongoing. Pay attention. To overturn the city, not just the scraps, but fervor itself. Not just the wan broadcast of indignation, but IRL incursions into the workhouses and poorhouses to inflame the thousand points of light. A lean surge. Departure pinks both ends of him. He's the nth layer, folded into the stand's nerve. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. There's... There's a lot going on in here. So the other thing about the photo is that after Harry Gamboa Jr. took the photo, he then went around to newspapers and was like, this is the last person killed by gang violence. You should put this photo out there, Um, which was sort of an artistic action on the part of Asco and Harry Gamboa Jr. because they were upset about the depictions of Uh, people from their neighborhoods and particularly people with dark skin in media as only being thought of as victims of gang violence or perpetrators of gang violence and not depicting more. So essentially the idea was like, that's over now. So no more talking about or focusing on that time to look at other things. Like this is the last victim of gang violence. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, um, it was like there was such a spectacle, which I think is still something that goes on now of like the TV, like when they were talking about it, they would name everybody. And like um, it was such a, you know, anyway, I, I think uh, Gamboa Jr. said something about how he hoped that this would like give people pause, a moment of pause before like and like consider what what the media and everyone like his role is in terms of like perpetuating both the violence itself and also like the perception of these this community. Yeah, this poem is so fascinating. I think it's one where we should try to give it a play by play although it might be a little hard. The beginning so, like, we have an actor uh, who I think is referring to, an, like, the Jimenez Smith is imagining the, the guy in the photo is kind of like an actor in some kind of film or whatever. Um, and so he starts out, just a moment ago, he was, like, shot to the sky like a Roman candle or something, but now he's sort of lying on the ground. Um, and it's sort of like going into, it's like talking about what his motivation was as like, uh, his role in this situation. Um, and then there's kind of this language about what one has got to do, like got to rezone, react, got to rile up the populace. Um, 
and there's this kind of like language of you know resistance or uh revolutionary kind of action um that i'm not exactly sure like who's thinking that exactly but then there's kind of a turn that's like an elder told him to overturn the city one must do also these sorts of things um like surrender your body to the explosive spectacle of truth um and kind of like you know not just like uh you know i love this like not just the one broadcast of indignation so not just like being like this is terrible and i'm mad about it you know i'm indignant and i'm telling you that i'm indignant um but like irl incursions it's like but actually like an intervention into the workhouses and poorhouses um and then the end is very mysterious to me a lean surge departure pinks both ends of him he's the nth layer folded into the stand's nerve um yeah so it's it's a kind of like the poem is sort of a projection onto this person who's imagined as a actor and like imagining sort of like what his motivation is with regard to the city of LA. Um, I don't know if that captures it, but no, I think that's really right. And, uh, the person in this photograph is an actor. I mean, it's a staged photograph. He was asked to lie down there. All the flares were put around him. Um, and I do think that's what that, you know, an elder told him to overturn the city. One must surrender body belongings. Basically, that's Harry Gamboa Jr. telling this guy, you know, oh, you'd be in my photograph so that we can do this art action that will have these, you know, social implications. Uh, the end part, the end part where he's the nth degree folded into the stand's nerve is sort of the body in the photograph is like a connective nerve between those two brightly burning flares on either side, I think is going on a little bit there. Uh, um, there is a Poetry Now episode where Carmen Jimenez Smith talks about this a little bit, some of the, the background thoughts in the poem. Um, so I, I do recommend checking that out for more depth, but I think that's a, a very good overview there's also i wanted like a quick referential overview i think this poem makes a few well okay there's three that stand out to me one at least i'm sure was meant um the first one which i'm not sure is uh, a roman candle shot to the sky i think probably any time in poetry or literature i hear roman candle in the context of really almost anything but especially describing a person i think of the jack kerouac uh, the famous, the only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, the ones who never yearn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, 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 like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars, and in the middle you see the blue center light pop, and everybody goes, aww. Yeah, that's pretty... Even if you haven't read on the road uh which that's from i think I believe so like you know you that that quote is bandied about um quite a bit tis yeah, bandied uh, tis bandied 
Um, the second one, which I'm 100% sure is an intentional reference, is the Thousand Points of Light reference, which was originally introduced into the popular lexicon by George H.W. Bush, where he talked about uh, a thousand points of light on a couple of occasions in his 1988 Republican National Convention acceptance speech, where he accepted the nomination, and in his 1989 inauguration speech. Uh, this was then later referenced sardonically by Neil Young in Keep on Rockin' in the Free World, or Rockin' in the Free World, uh, where he says, We got a thousand points of light for the homeless man. We got a kinder, gentler machine gun hand. Also worth noting that Donald Trump rode down the escalator in Trump Tower to give his announcement speech to the tune of Keep on Rockin' in the Free World. Wow. Because nothing means anything. And if you need to understand what was going to happen during that election cycle, just watch that press conference and it was all there because nothing mattered from the get-go. And then the third thing, which I don't know is a specific reference, but because it comes directly after the Thousand Points of Light, and at least in my head there's a little bit of a continuum of activism going on because this is a poem about this photo from the 70s that seems to reference not just the photo and what's going on in it, but possible contemporary resonances, like bringing this photo back into the contemporary conversation for a reason. Uh, I take that Aline surge, which does come directly after a thousand points of light, it's the start of the next sentence. Um, I think just because I am who I am whenever I hear surge, I think of the Iraq war because after it wasn't going well for a long time, uh, eventually, there was the idea of the surge, which did help, but it also perpetuated the continued, direct, intense U.S. involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, yeah, that's those are the three big reference points that I jumped out from in the poem. And I'm not sure about the first one and the third one. I think the first one is just one that a lot of people might make if they read it if they're aware of that Kerouac quote. The second one I'm positive is there on purpose, and then the third one might just be my own thing. Yeah, oh, that's really helpful. Um, yeah, and just some other like things, especially because the photo is so important that I'm just like making connections of. You had mentioned this, but so a lean surge departure pinks both ends of him. So the, the body is like on the ground, and then there's the red flares. And so the red, the pink red flares, that line is like departure pinks both ends of him is just, is I think in part just, just describing the literal Im image of the photo. Um, and then just like other random things, like he's a stooge on LA's sodden turnpike. The photo is in LA, uh, Gamboa Jr. is in LA. I think he's, I don't know if he's like on the turnpike, but potentially that's like just where the body is located. Those are just a couple things that I was connecting. Yeah, this poem is very fascinating for me for a lot of reasons. Um, and I feel like there's so much going on, so I don't know exactly know where to begin, but I'm curious like, well, this was going to be my first question, because there's a lot going on in this poem. It is helpful to have the photo for context, but does it feel 
fully cohesive or does it feel a little bit scattered as you're going through it? Yeah, so the this is probably an indirect answer to your question. The difficult but interesting part about it is like the voice and the perspective of the poem is a little like deliberately hard to pin down. So like the actor and the body is referred to in the third person. So like just a tick ago, the actor was a Roman candle. He's a stooge. Um, But then there's this kind of like sort of, so in one sense we're like, okay, the speaker is looking at the photo or like is in the imagining it being in the scene and like witnessing this person and describing it. But then there's this like other language, like, got to rile up the populace to fortify the arsenal, um, you know, like the rhythm of that phrase, by the way, is so good. Yeah, got to rile up the populace to fortify the arsenal. It's like, damn, <laughs> all of a sudden, and it comes right when it's talking about something that's like quasi militaristic, and it immediately goes into like a marching cadence. That yeah. struck me the first time I read it out loud. Sorry, please continue. Yeah. No, I mean, it's really true, the rhythm, like, and then, like, repopulate and penetrate, rezone and react. There's, like, there's definitely, like, moments of, uh, that's probably the most extended version, but this kind of, like, really, yeah, march is is a great way of talking about it. But it's, like, what is the, who's thinking got to rile up the populace, I guess, is part of the question, and is it, like, ironic or is it like uh like is it meant and if it's not exactly meant like what is the angle on it so especially there's this part he's a stooge on la's sodden turnpike so we have to make art and this you wouldn't know from hearing it but to make is in quotes um so there's already like a sense of i don't know it's like not that the speaker is skeptical of the photo itself, but maybe, but then skeptical about something. Um, and like some of the language is so um, kind of like deliberately like recognizable as like pump up language or also like taken from certain dictions like rile up the populace like the use of populace is like it's not like rile up the people or like get everyone riled up or something which someone said that i'd be like okay this is maybe like an earnest sort of like we got to get everyone going kind of thing but like rile up the populace fortify the arsenal is like uh you know, and then like once in a while repopulate and penetrate. It's like, anyway, it's, uh, you know, rezone and react. There's like terms. So I'm just like, this is a sort of scattered, but um, it's like, where is the speaker coming from? Which I assume is maybe different places at the same time. But that was kind of like, in terms of like being cohesive, that was like my initial 
difficulty in like forming a cohesive reading of it, which it is obviously resisting in certain ways, but um, yeah. I agree. And I think your point about it resisting, I think that's a really good one because it does seem to be intentionally pushing and pulling against exact location. Because going along with those changes in diction, there's also, I found, a little bit of like temporal uncertainty. It almost, the voice seems to exist in different times because you have this whole piece about discussing the motivation and an elder told him that to overturn the city that could be someone from now reflecting back, but it feels somewhat immediate and it feels like it's in the time of the photo or in that conversation that happened between the artist and subject before the photo. Like the way that that is communicated doesn't feel like it has the distance of reflection. It feels like it's in the moment and it's almost in their heads. And the poem is trying to get into that space a little bit. But at the end, you also have this almost self-consciously contemporary IRL incursions using like internet slang um, that the poem then is ending on this really contemporary moment because that IRL also comes right before a reference to a phrase that wasn't popular until the late 80s and this poem was taken in the early 70s so you get this you know time warp whiplash going on which I kind of liked as I was going through because it kept me on my toes while I was reading it. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And that that part, IRL incursions, is like the the most extreme or like the peak of this kind of like sort of um, disparate voice or like kind of voice inhabiting multiple times or multiple perspectives. Um, And also like, you know, workhouses and poor houses. Um, I'm not exactly sure on the history, but like those aren't, those feel like historical terms. Like there may be, you know, there's probably places now that resemble what a poor house was or a workhouse, but people don't call them that anymore. Um, there are also phrases that I think are most associated with, like, the UK, not the United States. Yeah. Obviously, there were institutions like them in the United States, but I think most people's cultural reference point for that would be, like, Oliver Twist. You know, it's it's this really British thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, and so we have this, like you know, that one, so those two lines, IRL incursions into the workhouses and poor houses to inflame the thousand points of light. It's like, we have IRL, we have thousand points of light, a la H.W. Bush, workhouses and poor houses, like 19th century England, um, kind of, or like Dickens or something. Um, and then incursions is also like uh, a kind of word that's, you know, like the polar opposite of IRL, where it's like, um, it's a, it's a fancy word. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's academic per se, but it's it has a, a it's formal. Like it- 
Yeah, it's yeah. like technical jargony kind of word because it, yeah. it feels similarly contemporary to me in that we often hear about you know incursions it's sort of a militarized word usually also like it's almost always in that context and i feel like it's often been used in contemporary war contexts and so it's just so it's it's just like it's really interesting because that whole sentence is not just the one broadcast of indignation but irl incursions into the workhouses and poorhouses to inflame the thousand points of light. So the the basic meaning of that is like we can't just yell about the bad shit that's happening. We have to like go into the muck and like rile up people and like you know get shit burning kind of thing. Um, you know, less talk, more walk, or whatever. Um, which like is so that I'm like, okay, but then it's like, what is the, the question because of this strange sort of, um, motley crew of language and diction, um, what is the speaker's relationship to that, the meaning of that sentence? Because it's like, it seems like the, you know, the, the, the crudest approximation is that the speaker is skeptical of it. Um, not that, like, the speaker thinks that the one broadcast of indignation is enough, but, like, something about there's, like, a tiredness of even saying that, sort of. So the other part, and this is, like, the other big piece of the puzzle to me that I feel like might help me get a sort of a sense of a reading is the fact that this is all about an actor and like there's so much um there's so much remove from any actual thing happening like if you think about the most immediate version of what could be happening is like if you were actually there in the street and there was like a victim of gang violence that you were looking at or whatever that's like you're right there the next remove would be like you're reading a poem or you're reading a news article of someone who was there or something or that's at least one more remove then another remove is the photo which is a reenactment of something that happens um but it's like not it's not a documentary photo right it's a stage photo that's deliberately staged of course but um and then we have this poem that's about the photo that's about something else um and then the poem itself is thinking about the staged aspect of things like, you know, his the actor was a Roman candle. Like, the phrase his motivation was is very funny in a way because, like, that's just such a, like, the cliche thing that, you know, actors are always asking in the, in the movies or whatever. It's like, what's my motivation kind of thing, which is, like, a genuine thing that you need to know as an actor. But um, it's kind of like identifying the 
the craft of the actor sort of above what is being represented by the actor, if that makes sense. Totally. Part of why it resonated with me is uh, the idea of where does a character come from before and after the piece of art you witness them in. And this really came home for me when I was watching interviews. Uh, get ready for some bro art. I was watching <laughs> a couple of years ago. I was watching interviews with Matthew McConaughey about the first season of True Detective. Oh, man. And he was talking about how he, like, got the script, and it's this giant script, and they explained to him that it's, you know, it's not a movie, it's this eight-part TV thing, whatever. And he reads through the whole thing, and apparently he shows up when it's time to film with, like, hundreds of other pages of notes. And they're like, what did you do? <laughs> and he explains that basically what he had done is he'd written out all the stuff that he imagined Rustin Cole doing before and after all the scenes so mm -hmm. that he could enter the scene knowing what he had just been doing. Which I thought was really interesting as something to do as an actor. And it has changed the way that I watch movies and TV shows because I'll often just wonder about, in case the movie hasn't already told you, and oftentimes it hasn't, you just get like a new scene the next day or a couple days later, or even if it's somewhat continuous, you don't know exactly what the character was doing. Like, they're in one place, they're in the next. Did they take a cab? Did they take the subway? Who knows? Uh, I like to try and fill that stuff in in my head, and I feel like this poem is doing something similar with the actor in this photo, which I like to think about. Like, what was that guy's day like? He probably had a pretty normal day, and he went and did this, and then he went and did more normal stuff. Um, <laughs> And I like doing that both for the idea of who is this actor and then what would the character he's portraying have been doing. Uh, I find both of those thought experiments interesting, and I think this poem pushes you in the direction of doing that, and I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, especially how it starts, like, just a tick ago, the actor was a Roman candle, the, which is such a funny little phrase, like, just a tick ago, uh, which also seems like, well, anyway. Um, but oddly British, perhaps? Yeah, oddly British. <laughs> Just a tick ago, <laughs> the actor. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, so casual, too. It's it's very... Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating way to start the poem. Um, I, it does then immediately talk about the Roman candle and the theme of explosives and projectiles comes up and the tick of a bomb about to go off it also sort of plants that idea in your mind i think because that's certainly where i went initially when i read just a tick ago the actor was a roman candle shot to the sky i'm immediately thinking tick 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 boom in my head yeah no that's really right yeah and it is kind of like the question that in terms of like what were you doing before what were you doing after uh that is a like in my in my days of my youth when i did a little acting we did often uh the director was like what are you doing before you walk through that door kind of thing so i think a that's classic. a pretty common direction right yeah but mcconaughey just went uh balls to the wall it makes you think about like the strangeness of art in that sense in like a photo or a poem 
in that it's, you know, it's a frozen moment of time or whatever. I don't know. In some ways, confines art to, um, like, I can see how one would be skeptical of this language, especially in a poem, because it's it's then going to be this, like, frozen document kind of uh and thinking about the time makes me think about there was this great essay um that was in uh n plus one that came out fairly recently um which was written by uh ken chen it's called ethnicity as counterculture um and it was kind of about the Asian American writing workshop, um, like the arts organization and like thinking about what its role and like what it is exactly, I guess. Um, and they was trying to kind of like tease out, uh, I don't know, like what the practice of like he was sort of identifying counterculture as a this praxis or like this practice that these kinds of arts organizations can do. But one of the distinctions that he was making, which like in some ways when you think about it is very simple, is just like when you're in the world, like in an arts organization, just like communicating with people and like moving around, that's like life. And like the writing is not life it's like this other thing which is important um but he was he wrote this part near the end that's called um navigating a communal geography differs from reading a text purchasing a commodity or from the self-consciousness of social media you navigate a material place in the time of your body rather than emitting dispatches into a dematerialized zone of no context. Um, and, you know, this is the end of it. Life happens when you are not making declarations. Life happens when you are with other people. So do new openings for your aesthetics and your politics. Um, and this is a very, like, it's a very, it's pretty long and it's, it's, very nuanced um but it made me think about when you were talking about time and then i was thinking about just the fact that you know this is a poem about a photo uh that's also a staged photo that like it's and this language skepticism um and this sort of talk about like you know like the poem is sort of thinking about those declarations that Ken Chen was talking about, like, you know, life happens when you are not making declarations. There's a similar kind of skepticism of like, got to rile up the populace or like not the one broadcast of indignation. Um, and I guess like, I don't know where the poem ends up in relation to that skepticism um, but there's a sense that like, there's so much happening and like, 
and there's this like attempt of representation through the photo and through art and through the poem to like access or change that happening, I guess, that seems sort of to be failing at a certain point. I don't think that's where the poem ends, but I don't know where it goes after that, but it seems to me to be grappling with like those kinds of issues. I don't know if that makes sense. Totally. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to look up that article now. It's really good. I really recommend it. We will be sure to link it for everybody to enjoy. Absolutely. Provided we Uh, can link it. I think we can. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Should we read it again? I think we should. Decoy Gang War Victim by Carmen Jimenez Smith. Just a tick ago, the actor was a Roman candle, shot to the sky, smudged by rain's helter-skelter. His motivation was... He's a stooge on Ellie's sodden turnpike, so we have to make art. Got to rezone and react. The world the bare wall to his bullet. Got to rile up the populace to fortify the arsenal. Once in a while, repopulate and penetrate, paint a list of incitement onto the walls. An elder told him that to overturn the city, one must surrender body belongings to the one explosive spectacle of truth, making it ongoing. Pay attention. To overturn the city, not just the scraps, but fervor itself. Not just the wan broadcast of indignation, but IRL incursions into the workhouses and poorhouses to inflame the thousand points of light. A lean surge. Departure pinks both ends of him. He's the nth layer, folded into the stand's nerve. Hey everybody, this is Jack again. Thank you so much for listening. This is the part of the show where we tell you all the different ways you can get in touch with us because we love to hear from you. If you have ideas for future episodes, comments on this or any of our past episodes, different readings of poems than the ones that we offered, we want to hear it. Uh, The fastest and easiest way to get in touch with us is on Twitter. The show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. And Connor is at Hot Sauce Boxed. You can also get in touch with us via email if you have lengthier thoughts. Our email address is closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. And of course, the very best way to stay up to date on the latest close talking happenings is to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Uh, We're also available, in addition to iTunes, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next time.